So today we have Clara Russell with us. Clara um, is a well-experienced GP who did her training in Newcastle and then went on to develop her career in what we would probably call non-traditional ways. Clara um, is, is very keen on looking at the aspects of the NHS that deal with mental brain health, um, lifestyle medicine and functional medicine. So Clara is going to just share something of, of your, your journey as we go along. Clara, welcome. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Clara, can we start by just run me through your, what, what brought you into medicine in the first place? Um, I think patients brought me into medicine and the idea of uh, being with patients and hearing their stories and trying to do something to help. Um, my brother um, has severe epilepsy and learning difficulties. So I was sort of around a patient um, all throughout my life without even really realizing that was that was a thing. That's just how he was. Mm. Um, so I think that, you know, that was there from the beginning. Um, and then I think some of the usual things came in, an interest in science, uh, definitely an interest in people and helping people and uh, a very close family friend who was a GP who um, just struck me as somebody who was just brilliant and amazing that he could uh, help people and look after families. So um, those sort of things kind of set the foundations for um, a career in medicine. Mm. And, and you went to Newcastle. Why, why I did. Um, it was two different answers for that. Um, one is uh, it was it's an hour and a half on the train from Edinburgh, so it felt at that time that it was far enough away, um, but still easy to get home. So that was that. Um, but in terms of medicine as a, a place to study, um, at that time they were really sort of pioneering, uh, being introduced to patients from the very first year of university. Um, and very sort of hands-on clinical teaching, um, whereas at that time, so it was 1997, so at that time a lot of the universities were still doing sort of pre-clinical for the first two years and then clinical, um, and I really wanted to be in amongst the patients from, from as early as possible, um, and obviously from when it was safe to be, to be there, um, and Newcastle offered that, um, so those things really combined to set that as the place that I really wanted to go. Um, and it's a great city, you know, Northern England, really lovely people. Um, I had extended family there and it's, yeah, it's got a lot going for it. Um, and that just ticked all the boxes for me as a place to go. Yeah, I, I remember going to Newcastle and the wind was what I remembered. <laughs> in, especially at this time of year in, in November, December, I used to have friends in Gateshead. And right, okay. You, you're either um, blown up the hill or blown down the hill. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's definitely true. And of course, there's always the, the fact that no one likes to wear a coat either. So there's, there was still that. That's something I, I did learn from my time there, um, having, yeah, grown up in Edinburgh where we're all coats and hats and scarves. It was, uh, uh, yeah, there was lots of differences in Newcastle, but yeah, it's a great, really great place. And I think really sort of made me, I think, as a, as a, as a young adult and as a junior doctor. So did you get converted to the, the non-court? 
Towards the end, there was there were moments. Yeah, there were definitely. I won't lie. There were nights that I did jack the coat in, but most of the time, I would say I stuck true to my roots and uh, kept on to it. Paid yeah. the pound to put it in the cloakroom or carried it with me, but occasionally. And <laughs> uh, um, where did you move from in terms of your career after um, medical school in Clara? Um, so I stayed. I, so I completed medical school in Newcastle and then stayed around the northeast for my sort of junior doctor um, sort of training, um, what happened next. And as I decided to go into general practice, um, I stayed I stayed local really. Um, I sort of took the option to create my own GP training, which was lots of people had done, but at that stage, again, they were sort of moving to more formulaic um, training um, programs, um, but I was still at the stage I could kind of choose my, choose my own. So that was, that worked for me and I was able to um, select some specialties that I was really interested in, um, including psychiatry and sort of neuro rehabilitation medicine, um, which was linked in with neurology at the time, um, which wouldn't probably be in a traditional kind of GP training um, uh, um, place to work, but uh, that was something that appealed. So I, I chose those things um, as well as sort of A&E and I did some local work in the area. Um, and that all sort of led me into being able to complete my general practice training and do my MRCGP. Um, and I did all that in and around the Northeast. And, and then you moved on to, to sleep, is that correct? Yeah, I sleep actually came later on. So I, at that stage, I moved from, yeah, moved back to Edinburgh to continue with general practice. And at that stage, I was still looking for a sort of fairly traditional GP job partnership or salary position um, and I came back to Edinburgh with that in mind um, and then it was really sort of later on when I picked up some interest in more lifestyle medicine and uh, like you know, sort of different type um, yeah lifestyle aspects that sleep came into to my sort of view and there was a course within the University of Edinburgh that I studied um, and that was yeah really interesting. Mm. Are there any highlights you could could share with us in terms of what you gained? Um, I think it was just well, a that sleep was a specialty first and foremost. Um, so I mean, again, so it maybe without meaning to sound in any way glib, um, you know, obviously I had patients they had referred to sleep clinics for specific um, sleep issues, um, but sort of when I did this course, I realised. Kind of what goes on in a sleep clinic uh, and also just the different I mean I was one of the only GPs there but the other sort of specialties that were on the course were respiratory um, doctors, respiratory nurses, um, psychiatrists there was just a, you know there's lots of different specialties that were involved so it was interesting from that point of view um, and I think just really the science of sleep I mean I probably learned you know, even just in the sort of the first lecture, I felt like very much I was back at the very beginning of medical school because it was just felt like it was completely brand new and just really fascinating. Um, although also extremely complicated because uh, we also had sort of went back through sort of physiology aspects of different things, which um, was felt quite difficult at the time. Um, but yeah, so I think the depth of it um, and the importance of a sleep medicine facility and a sleep medicine clinic having access to that. Also probably that a lot of people are, I think it's possibly not used enough. I think there's probably, it's probably under refer um, as GPs, 
possibly because you just take a lot of sleep disturbance and problems linked to sleep as being um, just par for the course or because of other things that are going on. Um, but I, I really I did learn that in the same way that you wouldn't kind of just keep an eye on a cough for months and months and months at a time without doing anything. You know, when people are presenting with particularly difficult sleep issues, there's specialist help available and they can benefit from, from specialist input. Um, obviously the challenge is, you know, waiting times and uh, and the, what's actually available. Um, but in principle, you know, I think it's it's underused and, um, um, you know, we just don't think enough about how important sleep is and how we can, how people need help with it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are, so I, I can <laughs> um, come back to the days when people would, would quote Margaret Thatcher saying, oh, yes, well, you only need yeah. two hours. Mm. And, and I yeah. think that, that became part of the culture of saying, yes, mm. disturbed night sleep, um, incomplete yeah. nights, short night sleep, so uh, just par for the course, just get on with it. Absolutely. And again, there's times in life where, you know, you're, you will have poor sleep, you know, obviously, if you've ever done work in night shifts, as, as we have, and as many professions and uh, jobs do, then you just accept that your sleep routine is back to front and upside down, and that you probably don't get a sufficient number of hours. But well, it is what it is. And, and then obviously, when people become parents, uh, and they go through challenges with children's sleep and their own sleep, again, it's almost a badge of honor I think sometimes that you know oh, I've, I've only slept two hours or I've been up 10 times or whatever um, and we talk about it but actually yes it's part of the children growing and that's that's how it is but you know finding ways to adapt with that and trying to you know look after yourself at the same time is incredibly important. Yeah yeah so what what drew you to to the idea of lifestyle medicine? Um, I think a few different things. Um, I, as I say, obviously growing up, my brother, um, he has quite a complex epilepsy, whereby um, <clears throat> the medications that he's been prescribed for his seizure control have had sort of very sort of limited benefits for him. Um, so kind of I'd always heard talk of things like the ketogenic diet or um just you know those kind of things had been mentioned um at different times so I was aware of that I think really within my patient group as well I kind of got to a point where I was really just feeling a bit frustrated with um what I could offer and how I could help because I was finding I had quite a lot of patients who you went, you know, they had fairly maybe non-specific symptoms. You went through a series of tests, maybe some referrals, and thankfully nothing serious came from it, or there was no firm diagnosis. Um, but that didn't always really help how they felt um, at the end of the day. And once I got to that point where, you know, we'd done all I could, you know, done all that I thought we could do, um, and I didn't really have anything else to offer, I just felt sort of increasingly kind of a bit frustrated at myself really that there wasn't that much else that I could come up with um so I think those sort of things were were there and I think then when I became a mother when I had my son um I think suddenly you're you're just you know the way you see the world changes again and uh you know particularly around sleep I guess I was really sort of focused on that and learning about that for him 
and, uh, and, and ourselves, obviously. And then I began to experience some of my own health issues as well in the sort of, well, he was a baby, um, which led me to uh, looking into things in a bit more detail, really. Yeah, um, certainly I know that to be true when, again, when I was um, doing my medical training, um, the word nutrition was, 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 I was going to say it's like Greek, but I heard more Greek than I heard nutrition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I had one, um, when I was doing psychiatry, actually, the, uh, in my GP training, the, my um, consultant supervisor did say something which has one of those sort of medical pearls that stick with you, which was, um, it's very difficult to have good mental health when you have poor sleep. And in the context of that, you know, I was sitting in and outpatient clinics with people with severe conditions and, you know, he would always ask them about sleep. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever really sort of heard that. Um, and again, even in general practice training, I wouldn't say we sort of talk that much about sleep, but that really sort of stuck with me. And again, I think, you know, when, when you really, when you just think about that, it's, it's yeah, we, we know that's certainly the truth, the truth now, that's certainly the case. Um, and we need to be talking about those things more. Sure. Um, so how, just run me through the, the concept of functional medicine, if you, you could clarify, please. Yeah, so functional medicine, again, really kind of came about because I was interested in lifestyle aspects, um, my own health concerns um, and what, you know, the issues that I had. Uh, I was actually diagnosed with having multiple sclerosis um, when my son uh, was about to turn one. Um, and that was obviously a big shock, um, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And in those sort of early years of kind of coming to terms with him, with that, and then with him just being so little, um, I was really looking for things for myself to try and help with, you know, ways I could look after myself and ways that I could improve my chances of my condition, um, as well as things that might also help patients. And nutrition came up regularly in my online researching, um, as did exercise. And again, at that stage, I was kind of unsure really what to do with that. I knew those things were important, but I wasn't really sure how I wanted to sort of learn more about it. I couldn't really see myself going on to do nutrition qualifications per se. Wasn't, you know, I didn't have the sort of space in my life for that. Um, and then I sort of came across functional medicine, um, which encompassed sleep, uh, exercise, nutrition, and how that sort of plays into lifestyle. So that really, again, felt it felt like a great fit to be a sort of learning platform to understand more about those things, both for myself, but also as a health professional and how it could help people. Um, um, are, you, are you able to share some detail of, of what you discovered that helped your personal life? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think the first thing the course that I did was I think again people talk about having done functional medicine. I think most people do um, do this sort of five day course called the, which they call the AFMCP, which is kind of their um, introductory uh, course that looks at all the different areas of functional medicine. And really, when they're talking about functional medicine, they're talking about looking at medicine in a different way and really looking to find the root cause of different conditions. Certainly a lot of it sounded quite woo-woo to me at the time, you know, and I was sceptical um, 
but again I think being a patient as, as well as a doctor I was definitely a lot more open-minded than I might have been a few years before um, so when I went on the course I met sort of there was a lot of nutritionists on the course and there was also some GPs that I sort of linked in with um, and I think we all had to had similar sort of experiences with patients and wanting to be able to offer offer more and learn more really ourselves um, so that was really helpful um, and I think the the course basically just gave a presented the research around lots of different of, uh, aspects of exercise sleep um, and really a lot more ho a holistic view of healthcare. Um, I guess that's probably very gen over generalizing, but um, it was a very sort of deep dive, I guess, into uh, some of these subjects with the research sort of to back it up. Um, so that kind of felt really sort of validated it in my mind as definitely having um, having you know something that I really wanted to look into more. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess. I think, sorry, do carry on. Yeah, I was going to say the again the you know the topics again it's hard to sort of think a bit about it now because some of the things they talked about then are quite commonly talked about now you know sort of the concepts of gut health um, and I can absolutely hand on heart say that that was um, I did the course in 2017 and when they stood up and talked about gut health and the microbiome and even what that was and why that was important. I mean, I was just like, I have no idea what this is. I've never heard of this. And I don't know, I think it sounds quite important. And oh, gosh, you know, really, it was just fascinating. Um, and again, I think that was also really good because you were learning something new, which I don't know, I, I probably wouldn't have learned in just sort of usual sort of GP general practice um, updates and things. So again, it was, yeah, we got a lot, there was a lot from it. I, I think my, my understanding of... Um the NHS um, and the way it is fairly segmented and, and bunkered and siloed in, in knowledge. So mm. to have a broader picture, and I, I mean, I, I look at GPs and think, you guys know everything because when I did anesthetics, all I knew was how to do, put you to sleep. Yeah, yes, yeah. So GPs, yeah. GPs were like the jack of all trades who obviously knew everything. Yeah. And so it's quite a surprise to realize that the, the huge gaps that, that we as a medical profession have that are sort of um, either not acknowledged or if you acknowledge it, you think, well, it's, it's not really that important because we have a, a set way of doing things. You, you, follow, you follow this procedure and you should come to an answer. And if you don't come to an answer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it feels very protocol driven. Mm -hmm. And we know the reasons why that is. Um, and that is essential for, you know, clinics to, you know, for, for people to be able to move through clinics and for, you know, GPs to be able to get through the day because, you know, you're so busy and you have to have a series of checklists, both mentally in your own mind, but also in tangible terms that you're working through. Um, and again, a lot of that time, a lot of the time that is enough and that's what people need and um, but obviously there are times when that you just kind of run aground with that and that was certainly the sort of the frustration I'd experienced with the patient some of the patients and again at that time I was beginning to see some of that in in myself and in my own health that um, I knew that you know I was 
you know, doing all the right things technically, but there were still sort of symptoms I was experiencing and ways I was feeling that I wanted to see if I could sort of address in a different way. Um, and from sort of reading around functional medicine and from what some of the things they taught us on the course, you know, kind of understanding why taking a mindful approach and you know, meditation, you know, even sort of looking at ways to reduce your stress, how important all that is, was really sort of life-changing for me, I'd say. So would you think that sort of approach had a, a benefit for you personally in terms of mindfulness or stress reduction? Absolutely, yes. I think just being aware that it's an important thing to to do, I think, for a start or to even address your stress. I think going back to like what we said about sleep, um, you know, you ex people accept that they don't sleep well. You know, how many times do you hear someone say, oh, I just don't sleep well, like I never have, and that's it. And again, I think with, you know, stress is another thing, you know, we, we people talk, you know, everyone talks about being stressed mm. and it's just part of the lexicon. And I think in some ways that's great that we're all talking about it and we feel a lot more open, but similarly, um, we kind of pass it off as just being normal and actually, you know, it isn't really always normal. Um, yes, an element of stress is important, but you know, the distress that comes from too much stress isn't normal and recognizing that in yourself and having ways to try and deal with it is essential. And again, I think, you know, I, I just not sure I'd really thought about it in that way before um, mm. until I kind of had that kind of learning myself. Yeah, and I think that that's true in that it, it, it's almost, for me, it's like theoretical. So it's, yes, we all talk about stress, but it, it's something that's mm. either you, that you can't affect, so there's no agency in it, or, yeah. or it's something that's out there that we'll deal with at some particular point in time. But in yeah. the meantime, I guess, certainly for GPs, um, you're limited in, in just time with patients to talk about these things and to deal with these things. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's just impossible, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it's just not long enough to, to talk about, you know, those, these kind of areas and, you know, something like stress, is or you know some of the symptoms that arise from being stressed you know often people wouldn't even recognize that they're stressed in the first instance you know it's it's other things that they present with and that's what they want to talk about so to even begin to open the conversation around well you know are you experiencing any times of stress at the moment like that's that's a whole other area that unless they bring that to you you know you're, you're that takes a lot of time to kind of get to that point to have that sort of conversation yeah just to, to segue the conversation a bit in a slightly different way, are you, can you tell me what sort of, do you have an exercise um, routine, pattern, things that you do that are, are beneficial for you personally? Um, well, that's a really interesting question because I can, again, hand on heart say that I have been an exercise avoider my whole life. Um, so again, another one of these things that I know the benefits of it, I would tell anyone else the benefits of it. When I studied functional medicine and lifestyle medicine, I really learned the benefits of it, but that didn't really mean I was still doing it myself because naturally I just, 
I just wasn't drawn to exercise. Um, so I've worked quite hard to try and find uh, something or some ways to be active and to have a routine. Um, and I think even just sort of having some of the time at home during the, the pandemic and even sort of into this year, I really kind of that was my moment of thinking I've really got to get on top of this. Um, so I can say, yes, I do have an exercise routine now. Um, I would not have had that if you'd asked me probably even two year, a year ago um, or two months, two years ago. But I do now. And um, that's something I'm quite proud of myself that I've managed to do to pull something like that together. Because having, as I said, spent all these years avoiding it to have things that I actually am happy to do is, is progress. Well, I, I can hand in my heart tell you that, that because I'm a little bit older than you, I have had longer experience of exercise avoidance than you have. <laughs> oh, it's not just me then, thank you. No, goodness. no, no, it's yeah. not just you. Um, but I think it, it reflects a, a lot of people's um, perception of exercise mm. um, or, you, or what it means. And it, the word exercise shows up all sorts of... Um, well, maybe either pink leotards, um, muscle, yeah. muscly guys in front of a mirror in a gym. Or, yeah. um, and, and certainly for me, I don't think of myself in any of those um, situations. Do I have, I have over the last couple of years before, before the COVID uh, situation, been to gyms uh, and it's been, it's been great. Good. Yeah, I, I keep away from the mirrors, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy watching the. Um, I don't know what what programs they have with this music on. Not not right. that I see that either, but it's a better choice than the mirrors. Yes, no, I I don't know who even had the idea of putting mirrors in a gym. I mean, I think it's just ridiculous. But um, but no, well, that's good that again you've again once I think you once you find something or a way that you enjoy it or at least can just do it, even if you still don't enjoy it that much, that's got to be a good thing, yeah. Well, I, I, my wife says to me, you, you have so many um, YouTube friends nowadays, I, I don't see you because- I, Oh, really? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I believe in the movement bit rather than the exercise bit. Okay, yeah. Movement, if, if you can micro-move, it's, it's, it's far yeah. more beneficial than, than sitting all day wishing I could go to the gym. Or Absolutely. To get out, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think that's something I've really, and again, probably the daily walk. <clears throat> excuse me, the daily walk in the lockdown, lockdown one, whatever you know, as long ago that as that was. I think that actually, um, really brought that sort of home to me as well. That just doing something again, I knew that in my mind that doing something was better than nothing. But it was always easier just to say, well, oh, you know, it's not enough or whatever. But I think doing that walk every day and, yeah. you know, we, we just literally we went the same route, um, my husband and my son and I. And it was boring, but, you know, it was it was the highlight of the day still back then. Um, and I, actually, you know, again, it's you know about habits, don't we, and how difficult it is to create a habit. Um, but I think doing that was it was the start really of me kind of just getting the foundations in of trying to bring movement in and being active and having my own routine. Yeah. Um, and so now you have founded a company called Noggings. Yes. What's that about, Clara? Um, so Noggin is really around 
uh, obviously brain health and brains and with a mission to try and improve the cognitive health of the nation. Yeah. Um, brains, brain, brains and brain health have been as part of me in my life for as long as I can remember, even if I didn't really realise it. Um, and as I said, the events of the last few years combined with my own learning um, have really made me realise how important brain health is. Um, the research is there, you know, where, you know, dementia is the biggest killer of women in the UK and second biggest killer for men. And we are, you know, we're up against it, basically. Um, and we know that some of these lifestyle factors are incredibly important, both in disease reduction for something like dementia and mental health conditions. Um, but these lifestyle things also make a difference in how we feel every day. So kind of taking all those things together, I really wanted to create something and that was going to help people understand what we can do to look after our brains. And Noggin is it. That's what we've done. And that's what we're uh, what we're looking to really just help get the, get the message out around what we can do to look after our brain health. So, so Noggin is educational as well as um, product. Yes. Yeah. So we have... Um, Yes, yeah, so we have nutritional supplements. Basically, when I was looking at the things that are important for brain health, which are also some most of the things that are important for lifestyle health, um, I we came across the all the evidence and basically formulated the sort of building blocks of better brain health, um, which includes gut health, movement, rest, sleep, um, purpose, connections, and nutrition. Um, Nutrition is incredibly important for how we feel and our brains. And as part of that, um, we have formulated some nutritional supplements to support some of the needs um, for that we all experience when our brains are not at their best. Um, and we've got the products that we're developing with more to come to try and help with some of those some of those needs. And uh, um, from what I've seen, you you've divided it into. Well, Johnson, you need to calm down, or Johnson, you need to <laughs> to to get more excited or excitable. Yes, yeah, yeah, and again, sort of the the roots of it were extremely organic in terms of you know my own health and the uh, experiences that we've had in our family, and it really all started from um, looking at nutrients that you know what could what could we be taking? What do I need to do to kind of help with this situation? And the more I read and sort of researched, so much came back to the B vitamins and the benefits of these for brain health. Um, and again, not something I'd really been that aware of um, up until that point, but, uh, you know, basically, yeah, the role of vitamin B12, B9 and B6 particularly were, um, you know, there was evidence around from the University of Oxford then a few years ago to show that, um, that, that you know, taking those vitamins helped with, uh, some mild cognitive impairment so that was kind of the start um, of looking at specific nutrients and what we've sort of gone on to do is work with a nutritionist to 20 plus years of experience to take um, the things that I read about and learned about along with um, her knowledge around other uh, ingredients to create a product to help really with energy and focus um, called Oomph and then we have another product to help with feelings of stress um, and to help with relaxation, which is called pause. Pause. I'm not going to ask you which one you think I should take because that might get. <laughs> <But> yes, <laughs> both. 
But make sure I take the right one at the right time. Of at day. the right time, yes, indeed, yes, yeah, yeah. You don't want to, but they're but they're coloured quite differently, so it's it's it is hopefully obvious which one is for which need. But yes, uh, you want to get them at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, from a nutritional perspective, then when you 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 say that there's the the B vitamins, the B twelve, the B B six, um, that are uh, important. What would you say to somebody who said, well, surely I get that in my food anyway? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably, yeah, yeah, I used to think that too. I think it's probably the first thing I'd say. Um, and also I'd probably say maybe you do. Um, so I think that's where the challenge comes. I mean, I think, you know, I was taught, as I'm sure you were probably taught, that, you know, we, we get all the nutrients we need from our diet if you eat a healthy diet. Yeah. Um, and now I'm just not really sure. I think that um, I think it would be great if we did. And some days we might. Um, but if you take into account our individual variabilities, our different abilities to absorb nutrients um, and also our different requirements for nutrients, as well as then the external factors around farming and the quality of the food that we're eating. I think there's so many variables. It's hard to know how nutrient rich the food that we're eating really is. Um, Again, that doesn't mean to say that not everyone, you know, you know, some people will be getting what they need, but I think a lot of us aren't. Um, and I think particularly as we get older uh, and, and or if we're experiencing other health issues, if we're on medication for other things, um, supplementing with uh, the appropriate nutrients can be helpful. And again, I think it's another thing I sort of learned around around the sort of, you know, there's a difference between essential nutrition and optimal nutrition. Um, and you know that's again nutritional supplements of the right type and the right quality and um, taken in the right way can help with some more sort of optimal nutrition. Um, certainly, I think there is a big there's a big gap, like you say, between the, the essential and the optimal. Mm. And the stuff that I've sort of looked at is, is certainly from the nutritional aspects of food. Using a carrot for carrot, well, at least I did. Yeah. Yeah, 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 hold on. absolutely. The, the nutritional value of a carrot in, in 1950 is not the same as the yeah. value of a carrot in, in 2021. Absolutely. I know it's, and again, I don't like to think about it that way. You know, again, I like to think that it's it's all it's all in there, and you're you know we're all eating the right things. And if you buy it in the shop or whatever, it's or, you know if you buy organic and all those things, it's you're getting the extra benefits. But I think the reality is we just don't know. You know, we just don't know what we're what, uh, what's happening. And I guess just what we do know that yeah, the nutrition, the, tri the nutri nutrient quality of food isn't what it was. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. But yeah, probably we'll never really fully understand or want to understand, but the reality is what's on your plate is is different maybe to what we think. Unless you've got your, your garden in the back, which um, yeah. actually is a positive way to go um, and something mm -hmm. that would help both personally as well as, you know, climate and, and world sort of aspects of it that you, you, yeah. you will be better for it. And, and you get your exercise as, as you pull all those weeds up. For sure. And you get your time in nature and your meditative time as well. So, yeah, I think, yeah, if you can garden, then, yeah, go for it. Definitely. Lots well, of benefits to that. In your allotment, Clara. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. 
plant growth might be my might be my next focus. Yeah, <laughs> at the moment, not green fingered, but yeah, that might be next year's thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's been really good talking with you, um, and I look forward to to seeing where um, Noggin goes next. And I'm sure. Thank you. It will grow in the future, and I know when we've talked before, like I said, you've had um, aspirations to, to bring in the educational side of it. Absolutely, yes. I think even just this week, actually, I don't know if you saw the Duchess of Cambridge was at um, a school down south looking at, um, I'm in Edinburgh, so most places are down south, but a school looking at um, uh, children who are learning about brain development in babies and learning about how uh, certain ways to talk to babies can make a difference in terms of brain connections and again that's something that you know just really rang rang bells with me because I think there's so much um, that we can all learn about how we can look after our brains the whole concept of neuroplasticity and the facts we can you know, keep learning throughout life and our brains emit, you know, change to the circumstances that we are in. Um, are, it's just so fascinating and has so much potential. Um, so to see like that getting the sort of press from, a, from you know, the, from the royal family, you know, championing and cause like that, I think it means, you know, in the, the years to come, our, I think all our future children will be a lot more wise about their brain health than we are. And, you know, with Noggin, that's something that's really important to us to try and help that along the way. So yes, we've got big aspirations to to help people understand from all ages, and very valuable aspirations as well. Oh, so, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> so we will see you somewhere um, in the physical space one day. Um, yes, that would be great. Yes. And in the meantime, enjoy all that um, Edinburgh has to to bring at this time of year. Thank you. Yes. Well, it could be snow this weekend, I think. So, yes, definitely. I'll have my, my coat on for that. There's no doubt about it. So. Okay. Bye for now. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks.